Hey everyone, this is Flippin' Finance. I'm Sam Ismore and I'm joined by my co-host Fabian. Good morning. This week we're putting a bow on 2022 and covering a big mystery in the labor market. As always, kick the disclosure music, Fabian. None of this is investment advice and does not constitute an offer to buy or sell securities, nor do any of my opinions reflect those of my employer, Vallejo Financial Advisors, or any of its affiliates. This is for educational purposes only. We are lazy, so we have no duty to revise any information. With that out of the way, how was your 2022, Fabian? Somebody asked me that the other night. And it took me a really long time to answer the question. And it, I was pretty sad with the with that word that I came up with the year. I used the word disappointing. Okay. I think overall, there was some things that just kind of made it a disappointing year. And I'm looking more inward on that to myself. I'm disappointed in some of the decisions that I made that I could have made differently. But all in all, I think it went as, it was an appropriate year. You know, it, wasn't, pro- it was an appropriate year. <laughs> it wasn't. It wasn't extremely positive. It wasn't extremely negative. It was just a year. Um, so yeah. okay, that's perfect. That's a perfect way to frame it to kind of go into what I want to talk about today. It was there were some good things. There are some bad things because some of the gist of the newsletter and the podcast is like this old economist joke, and it's going to be great. It's just like a dad joke, and it comes from a Harry Truman uh, quote saying, give me a one-handed economist, because all my economists say, on the uh, on one hand, but then on the other hand. So it's like kind of like, there's trade-offs. And I think that's what 2022 really was, is like, there was some good stuff, there was some annoying stuff, and it was kind of really dependent if you were like a half-glass full person in 2022, or a half-empty uh, person in 2022. Because there was a lot of stuff going on, and there was a kind of like what people call just like a vibe session where everyone was just annoyed and not and not happy because we didn't really have a true recession, which is two negative quarters of well, that's the the rule is two negative quarters of real GDP growth. That's like heuristic a rule way to easily remember what a recession is, but it's technically not what a recession is, and that's defined by the National Bureau of Economic Research as technically a significant decline in economic activity that spreads across the economy and that lasts more than a few few months. So we didn't really have that in 2022. So it was a great kind of like trade-off of like, well, like GDP, which is a measure of economic growth. There's other measures of economic growth that could capture things a little bit different, but it didn't grow, but we didn't technically have a recession because of a lot of other factors that the NBER look at we're doing fine so that's like one trade-off like right there like you know things weren't great but it wasn't really a true recession and so it was kind of like are you half glass full half glass empty type of person there but it felt and, like it right yeah I felt like it because inflation was high and, and growth was low so it wasn't like the best type of thing but it like could have been worse in a way and that kind of goes into the stock market too the the peak of the stock market I believe was January 2nd or January 3rd of the of this year and it was just the slow grind down 
So it was not like an enjoyable year to be a stock investor. So stocks, uh, when I wrote this, were down roughly 18%. I think they're down roughly 19% as of right now. And it was just, there's the 200-day moving average, which is like you, a little line that you can kind of follow on, on the stock market. It's like a very normal thing to have in there. And for the most part, it just started grinding down lower, unable to kind of break above it. And then what kind of makes investing hard, when I was talking about the stock market, I'm talking about S&P 500. But if I gave you these uh, headlines in it, you have, you know, war, war in Europe. You've got the UK political turmoil with like them kicking out three uh, prime ministers in a year. They're having historically high inflation because of the energy shocks going on. Who, who do you think has had the best stock performance this year? The United States, after we just talked about it, being down 18%. The United Kingdom, after the cluster they're going through. Or Europe, and the complete mess that they're in. Who do you think has had the best stock performance? I'm a homer, so I'm going to say the U.S. Okay. You're saying the U.S.? Yeah. Well, actually, United Kingdom is only down 2.6% over the year. So they're, they're killing us. And then there's the European stocks are only down 14%. So versus the United States is 18. How does that, so, how do you get that big of a difference between the 2% and the 19 or whatever that we're at? Yeah. So like a, a big reason for that is US stocks started a higher valuation than those other stocks. So we've, we talked about last time creating our price target in the, the PE multiple, which I found completely riveting. But at the beginning of the year, U.S. stock valuations were at 23 times earnings. And that's historically pretty high. Usually it's about 16 to 17 times. So whenever someone's talking about like valuation, and we'll talk about Tesla later, they're like, well, Tesla's valuation is like too high, you'll hear somebody say. That's what we're talking about is like you're looking at the earnings. So the S&P 500 effectively went through a re-rating, which means it's a change in the valuation from 23 times earnings down to 19. And that... That difference there is roughly 17% back of the envelope math. So almost all the S&P 500 sell-off was just from the valuation change uh, in the market. Whereas like maybe things were already kind of looking sad, you know, in, in the UK and Europe. So they didn't, maybe they didn't really have the same type of valuation drop that the United States did. So it's really all in like... It goes back to how we always talk about the headlines. There's always more to it there, right? Mm -hmm. You kind of just have to do a little bit of digging. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's about expectations and other things like that. So it's like just because there's like a headline of something doesn't necessarily mean that like the stock performance is is going to be in line with whatever the headline's saying. So you probably didn't do this, but maybe this would be a good follow-up. So let's say you invested a certain amount of money at the beginning of the year in the U.S. stock market and that same mm -hmm. amount of money in the U.K. stock market. Who would have fared better by the end of the year? U.K. U.K. would have only been down 2% and S&P 500 is down roughly 18. But if it was hot, like, okay, so regardless of what you had invested, even if it was higher, that drop, mm -hmm. yeah, okay. Yeah, at the beginning of the year. Maybe Fabian should edit that part out. <laughs> You're fine. You're fine. <laughs> So whenever you're whenever you're building a, a portfolio though for as like a professional investor, you've got stocks which are which are your growth engine over the long term in the portfolio. But then you have something that's called bonds, and that's pretty much like a loan to a company or a country in a way. So I'm gonna give 
you Fabian, $10,000, you're going to pay me interest on that for the maturity of the bond. And whenever, maybe it'll be four years, five years, six years, however long the maturity is, at the end of it, you give me my money back. And that's what a bond is. So it's usually a pretty safe investing vehicle. You're not really risking too much as long as you, Fabian, the company stay in business. I'm going to get my money back. And they're also considered pretty safe because they've only had five negative return years in the last 47 years. So pretty, pretty kind of safe where stocks on a year over year basis are negative about 40, 30% of the time, give or take, which, which uh, data series you're looking at. But the big thing with bonds is that they have an inverse relationship with, with interest rates. So as interest rates go up, which they did this year, so we were roughly at the Fed funds rate was roughly at zero at the beginning of the year. And now it's right about 4%. So it's a big jump in rates in a year. So whenever that happens, bonds go down. And you can look at bond returns using the iShares US Aggregate Bond ETF. It's called AGG. It's down 13%. That's not a recommendation to go buy that. But it's one way to look at it. And that is like the worst return by a margin of over 10% over the previous year, which was in like 93 when stocks were down roughly 3%. So kind of you're looking at um, just two of the main asset classes that professional investment managers use to build portfolios, both had really crappy years. And when you look at that, there's a chart in here, I think it's really good. It's just how 2020 is an awful year for investors, both in stocks and bonds. This has been the worst year for both stock and bonds on a return basis. So that was, that's the the half glass empty view of like, wow, that was really horrible. And now the half glass full view being the, the two handed economist is like, well, bonds started at such a low level, you can only really yield like 1.52% on bonds at the beginning of the year. But now you can earn like 4.5% bonds and things like that. So whenever you talk to kind of like your your grandparents or, your, or someone about entering to retirement, they want higher interest rates so they can earn kind of like a safer, better yield uh, on their portfolio. So horrible year to start retired, but going forward, you should have like some stronger returns from from bonds and also from stocks because like it's a terrible thing to say, but it's like as stocks go down, it gives them more potential to go back up later. And one big thing that was kind of a theme throughout 2022 and definitely 21 was the meteoric rise of, of Tesla. I think everyone's kind of heard like somebody who is bullish on Tesla. And like, as an investment professional, it's been interesting to, to watch it because we've owned it. When I say we, it's like kind of like my current company and the old company was always a big debate if you would buy it individually, just because once again, we went back and talked about valuation. It's extremely high based on historicals of like, is it an auto company? Is it a tech company? Regardless of how you looked at it, the valuation was always uh, very high based on any other company. And if you had the foresight to put $10,000 into Tesla in 2019, by the uh, end of, of 2021, you'd have $160,000. So Tesla's up wow. 1,600%. And the S&P 500 was up 100%. You know, So it's a huge difference there. So... What was interesting, though, is how human nature works. And, you, and I've talked to a couple of people who are like Tesla millionaires or Bitcoin millionaires. And I, I feel like my thing was they kind of forgot what the assignment was in a way, <laughs> you know, because like if you're going to speculate and put like 10 grand, 20 grand into an individual stock and kind of ride it all the way out, 
ride it all the way up kind of need an exit plan. And a lot of people just think, oh, this is going to keep going up. Well, single stock concentration or putting money in just to one thing is a great way to create wealth, but it's not the best way to keep wealth. And that's kind of what we saw in 2022 is where Tesla has fallen roughly about 74% by the time uh, I was writing this. I think it's it's up a little bit. And it's kind of the upside and downside of single stock concentration. So it's once again, two-handed economists is like, well, it's great, but just remember to have a plan at the end of it to sell off eventually or have some type of plan. Like if you make a million dollars on a stock trade, I would behoove you to maybe have a plan <laughs> to eventually get out of it or something. And what what do you typically see as people using as a, as a strategy for that? Like what is what would be a good, like sensible rule of thumb of just like, have a number going in mind of like, if it hits here, then kind of cash out. Yeah. It's like going I, to, the, to the poker table, right? In Vegas. Yeah, ex- exactly. Exactly. And it's exactly right. I think having a plan for when you win at the poker table, it's like, okay, like, for example, like you go with a hundred dollars and you make a thousand. Well, like a sensible person be like, well, maybe I'll just like take 300 That'll pay for my dinner tonight, and then I'll gamble with the seven hundred. That's kind of like house money, or just having like a plan. Like uh, I'm going to sell ten percent when it hits this price target or this price target on the way up or the way down, type of thing. So you just, I, I, what I do is try to get people to create just rules that aren't based on emotion, because a lot of this is emotional. It's going to the moon, diamond hands, hold <laughs> all that stuff, which is which is good and fun, but doesn't make really good investment hygiene. So for me, it's creating rules that you stick with and having the discipline behind it and whatever that works for that individual is what you kind of stick with. And then shifting gears, one other newsletter article we have is the mystery in the labor force. I think everyone has experienced going to a restaurant or going out where there used to be some like a different level of service in a way and kind of where are the workers? Everyone sees like the help wanted signs where did they all go? And what was what's interesting is you go back and look at the labor force right before February 2020, there are 164.5 million people working in the US. So that's where we started pre-COVID. And it took until August of 2022 to get back to that level of workers. And if you take and just project where we were pre-COVID to where we should be, just like, a, like 2% growth in, in workers, we're missing roughly three and a half million workers from the workforce workforce. So it's kind of like, where did they go? What happened? What are some theories that's going on in the labor market? And that's kind of important because all those flow into interest rates and wages and kind of the vibe session that we talked about, the two handed approach where it's all kind of connected. And one thing you can look at is the labor force participation rate. So this comes out when we have, The jobs report, which is every Friday, first Friday of the month, you know, that we have the first Friday in Indy. Well, there's first Friday in the jobless claims report. Love this. Love first Friday. (laughs) I love first Friday because we get a jobs report. And if you go back pre-COVID, labor force participation rate was 63.4%. And right now it sits at 62.1%. So we're still almost more than a full percentage lower and what labor force participation rate is just how many people are in the labor force 
and then divide it by how many people could be working. So roughly call it 62% right now. So it's kind of like, where did over those three and a half million workers go from? And roughly 2 million of them are from retirements. Just, I think a lot of people got tired of the COVID transition. I think everyone knows an older person in their fifties who's like, I'm not doing this anymore. <laughs> these crazy, these crazy millennials, I'm out. So it's roughly 2 million of, and these are estimates of like how many they expected to retire versus have retired. And as of right now, we're not really seeing people return to their workforce at all of that 55 to 65 range that have retired early. So that's a good chunk of it. Companies were like incentivizing people to retire early as well, right? During this time, I think so. am I wrong? I, I don't, I think that's happening a lot more right now with early retirements and kind of like a, a way to hide layoffs in a way is like incentivizing early retirements. Mm -hmm. But I think a lot of it was people just quitting out of frustration from the COVID working environment is a majority of that. Now, like a small, small percentage of it might've been like early retirement packages as well. Yeah. And then a, a kind of like a sad part of this whole thing is we did have COVID and based on the feds research, roughly 400,000 people uh, that were working age passed away from COVID. So that's a big part of it. Yeah, kind of a sad part to sit back and think about. And the other part, because of COVID, is roughly a million in immigration. We, we haven't had immigration in roughly two or three years. So you take two and a half million early retirees, sadly, some missing people from COVID, and then roughly a million from immigration. It kind of makes up the big part of the missing labor force that we've had. And then something that you could probably talk about with your daycare being closed today is a lot of women have disproportionately not disproportionately not returned to work. And that's affecting their labor force participation rate because it hasn't it is it is lower than than the the drop in the overall rate. And it's, it's not coming back. It's kind of rolling over a little bit. Uh, so that's been like an interesting thing to, to look at from from my point of view, from a two handed economist view. Yeah, it's. I'm interested to see. I wish I could see into the future, right? To see what, like, how does this affect the world moving forward? If it is a trend that continues, where people um, just don't want to go back to work, type of thing. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. I think I think it, and and that's a great thing of, and that's like a big mystery in the labor force is like how do you get people to return back to work to pre-COVID levels, and it's just not happening right now. So then we just talked about kind of the vibe session of 2022 and how things half glass full. Well, because there's less workers right now, all the people who are willing to work are getting pretty good bumps in, in, in wages, right? But then you have the Federal Reserve that looks at this and goes, they think a big majority of current inflation is because of wages being too high. So it's kind of like the Goldilocks effect. They want things not too hot, not too cold right in the middle. Right now, wage inflation, wage growth is too hot, and they think it's going and feeding into inflation. So they're raising interest rates. So remember, so we went from 0% to 4%. That's a big jump in interest rates. Well, that affects other things. That affects like mortgage rates. That affects everything else going on. So you kind of see like this cycle of, of things coming out. And we'll have another jobs report on Friday. It comes out every first Friday. It's going to be exciting. And that, and that you get to see the market recalibrate over 
well, if unemployment goes down a little bit, labor force participation drops a little bit, you're going to have like, oh, no, that means wage growth is going to be higher, which means the Fed has to raise rates more. And then you kind of see this almost uh, Mexican standoff in a way between the market, the Fed and, and the labor market, because the Fed uses words like pain. They want to create economic pain. <laughs> they What they really are saying is like we need unemployment to be a little bit higher, which is not a thing to say because we don't, we don't even have enough workers right now. So it's like kind of this conundrum in the in the economy right now as a two-handed economist very interesting and that's all i've got for today any predictions for 2023 sam yeah that's a great question i think everyone in our next podcast is actually going to be uh, about a recession i think everyone's worried about a recession so i'm going to teach you how to predict one i'm not going to i'm not going to tell you now and, and ruin the next episode Ooh, but i personally <laughs> i think i think things are going to be i think things tend to reverse and bounce back in a way. I think 2022 was such a an annoying year for a lot of different reasons. And I think things will just be fine in 23. I think it'll be like a boring good year instead of a boring bad year. Yeah. I saw gas prices were under $3 today. So that is a great sign in my, in my brain, like my very non-scientific, non-research-based brain. I see gas prices down there and go, okay, things are looking good. One thing that's really interesting to me is you can actually look at presidential uh, ratings and it's highly correlated to gas prices. It's, it's like, like 90% correlated. Like as, as gas prices go up, you know, presidential ratings go down. It's <laughs> that. <laughs> and you see like the Biden, the Biden stickers that are just like, Hey, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but that that'll be that'll put a wrap on what we're talking about today but next time i'm going to show you how to predict a recession love it as always feedback is welcome subscribe rate the podcast sign up for the newsletter appreciate it